Thank you so much for joining us today and listening to a PCF podcast. We believe listening to the Word of God will change your life. God bless you as you continue listening to this podcast. Should we just, can we just pray for a minute? Holy Spirit, we just thank you, Lord, that you are here. Make us more aware of your presence. Lord God, we just pray that you would be like a fire shut up in our bones, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would send reverberations in the spirit realm, Lord God, in this place, in this atmosphere, Lord God, that you would speak through me right now, through your word, Lord, but ultimately that people would be drawn to Jesus. Lord God, we pray that you would light the fire of prayer in this house again. In the name of Jesus, because your word says, my house should be called a house of prayer for the nations, Lord. So we just pray, Lord God, that you would raise up an army of young people, Lord God, who are going to intercede, Lord God, and bring the gospel to this generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. If you've got a Bible, just turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, I have to carry around a real Bible that is the paper version um, because I get distracted on my phone. I'm not that spiritual. Um, so shout out to anybody who's got the real paper Bible. I can see a few of you. Used to sound like rain in a church when you said, turn to this passage. And rustling of papers. Matthew 13, uh, if you've got a phone, swipe there. I don't know really. Turn there, swipe there, who knows. Uh, familiar passage, many of us will know. Uh, it's called the parable of the sower. Um, so I'm going to start reading um, in verse 3. To verse 9, we'll unpack it a little bit, and then we'll do um, some flipping around the Bible. We're going to have fun. Uh, I like to geek out on the Bible, just so you know. So if you're with me, say amen. Amen. Good. (laughs) Matthew 13, verse 3. Then Jesus spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places. Everybody say stony places. Where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of God. I love how Jesus starts with the highest number first. You ever notice that? Sometimes when I quote it, I would say thirty, sixty, hundred. Jesus started with hundred, sixty, thirty. There's an expectation over your life that you would produce much fruit. In season, and what does the word say? And out of season. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've been preaching to young people for 15 years. And you can count yourselves as young people today, if you'd like. (laughs) Certainly how you feel. (laughs) Some of you are like, I feel old. Um, And... I get frustrated when I read the parable of the sower because I say to the Lord, why are there stony places? Why can't every seed that I sow fall on good ground? 
Anybody else ever thought about that before? Why, why, why does it have to, why do not all of my kids, why are not all of my kids good ground? Why some seem a little bit stony? Okay? You have to think about that. And I've been frustrated by it for years. And I was asking the Lord, you know, what, what does this really mean? Like, what, what is going on in this parable? And so today I'd like to take a deep dive into this parable to see what the Lord might be teaching us through it. I know it'll be familiar to many of you, and I'm sure you may have even heard this message before, uh, but hopefully you can uh, have fresh ears to look at it today. Amen. Um, So what I want you to notice is a little thing that Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 11, where he goes on a little bit after this parable, and Jesus says something really interesting in Matthew 13, verse 11. He says this, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Everybody say mysteries. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus' parables, as some of you might be, you will know that Jesus very rarely describes his parables as mysteries. Do you know what word he does use? He uses the word like. He says the kingdom of heaven is... You heard that before? But very rarely do we get the kingdom of heaven mystery. And I'm going to tell you this parable to allude to the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And actually, Matthew 13 is one of the most popular chapters in the Bible to give us parables. Do you know how many parables are in Matthew 13? Seven. Six of them say the kingdom of heaven is like. One of them says the kingdom of heaven is a mystery. Do you find that interesting? Do you know the parable of the sower is the only parable in the Bible that is described as a mystery of the kingdom of heaven? Every other parable the kingdom of heaven is like. Should we go through them? Parable of the sower, mystery. The next parable is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Matthew 13, 24. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now watch this. A man who sowed good seed in his field. So, hang on a minute. So, in the parable of the sower, where it's the mystery about the kingdom, there's stony places and thorns. But when it says the kingdom of heaven is like, there's just good seed and a field. So I'm asking the question, where's, where's the stony place? Should we go on? Matthew 13, verse 31. I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just going to say, and I don't know the mystery, so see you later. (laughs) Verse 31. Many of you will know this one. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, listen, which a man took and sowed in his field. Where's the stony place? The next one, parable of the leaven, the kingdom of heaven is like. Then he explains the parable of the wheat and the tares, which we'll come to in a moment. And then you get the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a... Where's the stony place? Jesus, this is all in red letters, by the way. I love the red letters. Verse 45, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. You know you're the pearl, right? That Jesus sold everything for for you. Then the final parable, the parable of the dragnet. The kingdom of heaven is like. So I'm going through all this and I'm thinking, all right, I'm a little bit confused. Anybody a little bit confused right now? Why is the kingdom of heaven like? But then when you're talking about the parable of the sower, it's a mystery. So I want you to know something, that this parable of the sower is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which if you study theology, they'll tell you it's pretty important if there's a passage, uh, if there's a story that Jesus tells or something that he says that appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's, there's an importance. And if you study Hebrew, um, you will know that repetition is one of the ways that they would emphasize some, a, a point. So we would nowadays would put something in bold or underline it or something like that. They would repeat it. So it's important. Um, and in all accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of the parable of the sower, every time Jesus says that this teaches us mysteries about the kingdom of heaven. In every other parable, it says the kingdom of heaven is like. So six parables, we get the kingdom of heaven is like. But in the parable of the sower, we get a mystery. So I decided to be a little bit cheeky. And I asked Jesus, what's the mystery? <laughs> Because you love me, because I'm your favorite, will you tell me, <laughs> you're all God's favorite, but he loves me a lot. <laughs> and good, good answer. I just, don't you just love John, just the disciple who Jesus loved? <laughs> I love that. It's such a revelation of his love. Um, so I said to Jesus, I said, Jesus, what is the mystery of the, kingdom, of the parable of the sower. And I believe that this is a word for PCF Church right now. And Jesus said to me this, break up the fallow ground. Break up the fallow ground. Everybody say, break up the fallow ground. Now, I, I, you know, I, I've read the Bible. I, I love the Bible. I read the Bible every single day. And uh, I didn't know the exact reference for break up the fallow ground. I've, you've heard it in the songs you probably heard some people pray it before. You might have heard one or two scriptures on it from time to time. But the exact reference might be lost on some of us. <laughs> there might be one or two of you biblical scholars in the room who know exactly where the reference is. Well, it's in a few places. But one of the places that I found it in is in Jeremiah. We looked at Jeremiah before. Maybe the Lord has something to say to us today. Jeremiah... 4, verse 3. You ready for this? Jeremiah 4, verse 3. Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Wait. What? Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Okay, Jesus, now I'm, now I'm wanting to know what on earth is going on because you've just told me the parable of the sower that has got this mystery of the kingdom of heaven and this guy is sowing among... So I've got some questions. Did Jesus... Did he, did he, was he trying to say, I don't know. Was he, had he not read his Bible that day? 
I don't think so. <laughs> you know, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, Jesus responded, it is written. He just quoted it. It doesn't say that he pulled out his scroll from his satchel and read it out aloud. He knew the word. From the age of, uh, you know, from an early age, Jewish young boys would learn the Bible. They would know it inside out. So Jesus would have known the word off the top of his head. It is written. So he knew Jeremiah 4 verse 3. And that's why he said it's a mystery. Because he wants to invite us a little bit deeper to find out what's going on. What is going on? Break up your fallow ground. Do not sow among thorns. Now what I want you to notice, we just flip back to Matthew 13 for a second. I want you to notice, are you guys doing okay? Please don't fall asleep on me, this is important. <laughs> I want you to notice something about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Because Jesus explains the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, if we look at Matthew 13, verse 37, he says, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. In other words, when Jesus is sowing seed, he's only sowing into soil. But what sometimes when we sow seed, we use this scattergun approach. You know what it is? It's mystery in the flesh. It's, it's ministry in the flesh rather than ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus understood a principle of the kingdom of heaven. And he subjected himself to this principle of the kingdom of heaven. And it's this. Private prayer brings public power. Private prayer brings public power. You'll notice many times in Jesus' ministry, he goes up the mountain to pray, and he comes down the mountain and casts out demons. He goes up the mountain to pray, comes down the mountain and walks on water. He goes up the mountain to pray, down the mountain, and sick people are healed. See, I'm not trying to spend my life Walking so close to the line that's called sin and seeing what I can and can't get away with. I'm trying to spend my life walking so close to Jesus that I see the dead raised. That I see demons flee. That I see sick people recover. That I see the kingdom of God breaking out. But we're living in a generation that wants to live so close to the line to see what they can and can't get away with. But Jesus came and he lived a life of consecration. You know why? Because consecration is demonstration. The life that you live speaks to a generation. And we've seen Christian leaders living lives that have been exposed because they were preaching things from the platform and not living it in the private place. And we wonder why the church is in decline because there's no power. Because public power only comes from private prayer. If it's not, you're the parable of the sower. And you've got this scattergun approach. And maybe sometimes the seed will fall on good ground. And God blesses that just because he loves people. But in the end, we will find that there was a ministry in the flesh. Rather than ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, guys, prayer is so important. I don't care if you're gray-haired white-haired, no hair. I don't care if you're young or old. Your prayers make a difference in the spirit realm. I don't know many people in this church, but one thing I do know is there's praying people in this church. 
Do you know that Poynton is very different to most of the city? We've got one street here in Poynton with like five or six different churches. That's unusual. I think there's unusual amounts of prayer going on in this place. There's some white hairs, there's some older people, and they're praying prayers, and you would never know their name, but heaven knows their name. Hell knows their name. You know, there's um, a story in Acts about these people called the Sons of Sceva. I love this story. It's uh, very revealing of, of the age that we live in right now. And these sons of Sceva, they see the disciples, they see the apostles, sorry, casting out demons. And these sons of Sceva, they say, we want to do that as well. We want the power. <laughs> they wanted the power, but they weren't willing to pay the price in the private place for it. So they would go out and they would find people who were demon-possessed and they would say, we cast you out by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And do you know what the demons said to them? The demons said, Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who the heck are you? That's my translation of it. <laughs> I want my name to be known in the spirit realm. Why? So that I can have authority. But there's only one way. Everyone say there's one way. You've got to be a person of prayer. We've got to be a people of prayer. We look out in this generation and we're losing a generation. We've got to be a people of prayer. You might feel in this room that you are completely unrelevant and unuseful to this generation. You're not. Give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to prayer. Hours and hours and hours of prayer. What are we doing in that prayer? We're breaking up the fallow ground so that stony places become soily places. That's why when Jesus was describing himself as the son of man who sows seed into the field, he's only sowing into the field because his time on top of the mountain, breaking up the fallow ground, meant that when he was ministering, he's sowing into good soil. Do you know... The, the 11 of Jesus' disciples that he had on earth, most of them ended their life being martyred for their faith. Do you know what that is? Good seed. Good seed. And many people might look at Jesus and think, 11 followers on Instagram, this guy's pretty lame. But we have allowed the spirit of the age to infect the church that we now define success by numbers rather than power. I would rather raise up 11 people who follow Jesus to the bitter end than 1,100 people who fall by the wayside. We've got to be focused on being a success in our Father's eyes rather than a success in the world. If you're a success in the world, you're most likely a slave to the world. If you're a success in God's eyes, you're most likely a son. Or a daughter. One of my favorite quotes uh, about... Are you guys doing okay? <laughs> One of my favorite quotes about prayer is this. If you go to church on a Sunday morning, you'll find out how popular the church is. So look around. If you, come, if you come to Wednesday night Bible study where the pastor's doing a special sermon that week, you'll find out how popular the pastor is. I hope your pastor is popular in this church because he's a great man. 
<laughs> and he believes it. Amen. We honor you, sir. So if you go to church on a Sunday morning, you find out how popular the church is. You go to Wednesday night Bible study, you find out how popular the pastor is. Go to the prayer meeting, find out how popular God is. Check your diary, you'll find out how popular God is. Do you not think it's strange that if I, I've just, we've just celebrated 10 years of being married. <laughs> Thank you. If I told you that the last time I saw my wife was 10 years ago on our wedding day, you'd have some questions for me after the service. If I told you, no, 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 it's not that bad. We, uh, we see each other every Sunday morning for two hours. And most weeks we see each other on a Wednesday or a Tuesday night in someone else's house. You think I'm weird. And we're the generation that runs around saying it's not a religion, it's a relationship. How's your relationship going? Because if it looks like Sunday morning at church and Wednesday night or Tuesday night at a small group, you've got a marriage with Jesus like the marriage I just described. We've got to give ourselves to prayer. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, um, some people come to Jesus on the final day when Jesus is judging the world. And I hope you know that Jesus is going to judge the world one day. And he's coming back again. doesn't get preached about anymore. But Jesus is coming again one day. And he will judge the world with truth and righteousness. He will have a sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God. And yes, he will have scars still on his hands from the love that was poured out. But the time will be up then. He will judge us on our lives. And Matthew 7 talks about this day. And, it, and Jesus says, there'll be people who come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. They say it twice. Repetition. They really loved God. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We said all these things about you, God. Did we not cast out demons in your name? That verse scares me because they had authority in the spirit realm. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do, listen to this one, many wonders in your name? And Jesus will turn to them and say, Away from me, you practices of lawlessness, for I never knew you. What was Jesus' emphasis? Knowing him. And you can see the negative side of that. You can see that, not negative, you can see the challenging, convicting side of that, of Jesus saying, I never knew you. But guys, you have to see the invitational love in that. The fact that it's recorded in this book is because God loves us. He's not just saying that on that day there'll be people who never knew me. He's also saying in that same way, I want to know you. I want to know you. Why does he call them practices of lawlessness? Because the most important commandment Jesus said was to love God with all of your heart. Our most important ministry is not our ministry to other people. It's our ministry to God. Because it's out of this place where the power of God overflows out of our life.
We need to see a generation of young people coming back to God. But it's only going to be prayer that does it. Let's just look at one more thing in Matthew 13. Uh, but while you turn in there, if you're already there, then well done. I need to turn there. <laughs> I want to tell you that yesterday um, I was on my phone uh, trying to distract myself from the fact that we lost the derby. Um, we won't talk about that because we're not going to start a world war in here. <laughs> Just not going to mention it. The goal was offside. Anyway. <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs> Yes, I am a bit of blue. Um, I was scrolling through my phone and I came across an article in the Telegraph um, that basically was saying that uh, Satanism is on the rise in the UK. There's a report written, and it's actually in a few different newspapers today as well, um, and the Satanic Church are reporting a five-fold increase of young people coming to their services and come into their ceremonies. And I know exactly why. Because with those guys, it's black and white. They just say it how it is. Young people are coming into church and all they're getting is fluff. Just being told the same old thing. No power. Nobody standing up and saying, a man is a man, a woman is a woman. That's it. We can't even talk about it anymore because somebody's going to get offended. Do you know how many times Jesus offended people? Do you know it's the reason why he got crucified? Because they hated him. Why? Because of what he said. And they didn't realize that he loved them enough to tell them the truth. If my kids, we know it. If my kids are running across the road, I'm going to grab them. Sometimes we've got to tell the truth. Yes, in love. But in the name of love, if we deny the truth, we don't actually love people at all. And if that thing that you're going into is going to ruin your life, why would I not tell you that? You know, it's interesting. I wonder how much Romans 1 gets preached in church anymore. One of my favorite um, passages of scripture is in Romans. Romans 1, 16, I hear that a lot in church. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of those that believe. But we don't want to preach what comes after that. So in one breath, we say we're not ashamed of the gospel. But a few verses later, when it starts saying that men can't lie with men and women can't lie with women, we're like, oh, don't talk about that. Wait, I thought you were unashamed. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before people, I'll be ashamed of you before God on the final day. That's what he said. And do you know what he says about those people? He says this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is not just about who and who you shouldn't sleep with. This is about truth and lie. And let me tell you something. This book is truth. Even if I don't understand it sometimes, this book is truth. And Jesus is the truth. And Jesus read this book. So if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And at the same time, we need to love this generation with everything inside of us. I'm not saying that we just go around finger pointing and all that kind of stuff. You point a finger at somebody, you've most likely got three other fingers pointing back at you. We've got to love people. We've got to, we've got to take time with people. Some people are going to take time with all of this. Kind of, it's a complicated issue. I get all of that. But at the same time, it's in the Word. And, and we 
And the word is meant to make our lives bend to God's will. We're not to me meant to make the word bend to our will and our agenda. Same thing in prayer. Prayer is not me getting God to bend to my agenda. Prayer is about God getting me to bend to his agenda. That's why Jesus taught us to pray in Luke 11, his, uh, the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, take this cup uh, and let it pass from me. But he said, no, but in all things, let your will be done. That's how he taught us to pray. That's the foundation of prayer. It's the basics of prayer is your kingdom come. It's the basics of being a Christian. Do you know what being a Christian is? It's surrender. We surrender our agenda. That's what being a Christian is. We love the fact that Jesus is our Savior, but we don't always want to submit to him as our Lord. We love John 3.16 where it says God loved the world and he gave his life. How about Revelation 3.16? Most of us don't even know it. Same Jesus speaking, still in red letters. And he said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. We love it when Jesus loves us. What about when he tells us the truth? And that's one thing I can commend the disciples for is they were there for Jesus telling them the truth. And we think that we, think that we can't tell teenagers the truth of the word of God and the hard things about the word of God. The disciples were teenagers. All the hard things that Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, anybody who's going to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. Jesus said that to teenagers. Come on, guys. I know you believe it. <laughs> so we've got to pray like never before. We've got to pray for this generation that they would experience the radical love of Jesus, but they would also commit their lives to following Jesus following Jesus. And I believe part of it is because we've even got repentance completely wrong. Because most of the time when people talk about repentance in church, they talk about Romans 2.4, which says the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Who knows that verse? The goodness of God leads you to repentance. Kindness of God leads you to repentance. Okay, that's true. The kindness of God does lead you to repentance. But the same person who wrote the kindness of God leads you to repentance in Romans 2.4 also wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 7.10, the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow produces repentance. So in other words, imagine this table is repentance and you're over here. The kindness of God comes to you. The love of God comes to you. We reach out to our local community with what? With the love of God. We reach out to the local high school with what? The love of God. And the love of God, the kindness of God opens people's eyes to who God is. God is love and he pulls them over to this place called repentance. But what really produces repentance in you is a godly sorrow. What's godly sorrow? It's as simple as this. My sin put him on the cross. Tim Hughes summed it up well in, in, in one of his songs. He said, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. That's godly sorrow. But we don't talk about that stuff anymore. And then we wonder why there's no weeping and conviction in church anymore. Because people aren't weeping over their sinful condition. Listen. The cross of Jesus was so great because our sin was so grave. He had to die on a cross. Does that not communicate the extremity of our condition? A generation needs to have 
contrition over their condition. It's the only way. And listen, I've preached like this to young people. And do you know what happens? They come up to me and they say, thank you for telling me the truth. Recently, I was preaching somewhere. I won't say where. And I was preaching like this and I was going for it. And after about half an hour, a, a parent came and complained to me. Said you shouldn't speak like that to young people. It's too harsh. It's too much. And I said, well, I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm, I'm trying to communicate to them the love of God. I'm just preaching the word. Um, unless you want to start ripping out pages of your Bible, then so be it. But, I mean, even if I just preach the love stuff, I'm still going to go and tell them to read this book when they get home. And what happens when they read this book and it opposes everything I've just said? This is an authentic generation. They want the real thing. They're sick of Boris Johnson. Let's not start a political war in here. <laughs> they want the real thing. So they're going to call me a liar when they read it in this book and say, why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell me? But do you know what happened half an hour later after this parent came and complained? A 17-year-old lad comes up to me and he said, I'm addicted to pornography. And he said, thank you for telling me that the truth will set me free. We've got parents saying one thing and teenagers crying out for the real thing. And we don't want to tell them the truth anymore. And listen, they're crying out for it. They're just crying out for someone to tell them the truth of God's word. Yes, that he loves them. But yes, that he has a plan for their life to live in righteousness and holiness. Because the Bible says, Jesus said it himself, the truth will set you free. If we're not preaching the truth, there's no wonder that there's a generation that abound. So why is the devil trying to raise up an army of young people right now? Because he knows he's trying to bind them before they bind him. And I'm telling you something, what I've seen last year across the country is that God is raising up an army of young people. So it makes... It's, it's not a surprise to me what I read yesterday on the news because God really is raising up an army of young people. I want to tell you this story and uh, the band can come up now. We wanted to do a prayer meeting for young people in Manchester uh, with the Message Trust and a load of churches around the city and um, so thankful for Josh Bull. He's an amazing guy. Um, he <laughs> I love you, bro. And as soon as I even half mentioned the idea, he was like, yes, <laughs> we're bringing all our young people. <laughs> and um, we did it on uh, January the 27th, 2022. And uh, we invited, you know, youth groups from churches. Um, we, we wanted to do this prayer meeting for young people. And uh, it was on a Thursday night. It was on a council estate in Withenshaw. <laughs> And it was a prayer meeting. Now, when I was telling my friend this the other day, he said, those three things sound like a recipe for nobody turning up. <laughs> I said, that's exactly what it sounds like. I was expecting maybe 30 young people. 350 young people showed up. 
And people told me this generation don't want stuff like that. They want pizza. They want games night. No, they don't. They want God. Because they're dealing with some stuff that they want to be set free from. And sometimes we might need to say something slightly offensive. But sometimes God will offend your flesh to reveal your heart. If your teacher never marked your work and gave you an F, how would you ever know? You probably just walk around thinking, I'm doing great. You know, Jesus in Revelation, he speaks to seven different churches and two of them get off okay. But the other five, <laughs> they get in trouble. So sometimes Jesus has some things to say to us. But we need to be a people of prayer. And I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for every one of you that you're like a beacon of light in this city. In, this great, in Greater Manchester, in Stockport, you're like a beacon of light. And your prayers are sending reverberations through the city. I know that that many young people didn't show up for a prayer meeting just because of my prayers and fasting. I know that there's some people in, in this city, in Stockport, in, in Manchester, all of that, praying for a generation to rise up to follow him. And I want to say thank you. I know, I know some of those people are in this room. Please keep praying for a generation to rise up to follow him. And I preach from Luke 9.23 to these young people about taking up your cross, denying yourself, following Jesus. I preached about martyrs. I preached about laying everything down for Jesus. And about 80 or 90 young people came forward in the response. I've never seen anything like it. I just said, come down to the front. But what they did next shocked me. They came down to the front and then they just started getting on their knees. And kids were weeping down at the front. I had a 10-year-old lad come up to me and, and asked me questions about hell afterwards. He got it straight away. He was like, I really need to follow Jesus. I'm telling you, it's not that hard. We just need to pray. We need to fast. We need to give ourselves. And we need to uncompromisingly preach this word. Jesus didn't say, raise up decisions for me. He said, raise up disciples for me. And that only comes through prayer because... What we find out, just as I close, in the parable of the sower, Jesus says about the good seed that they didn't just hear the word, but they understood it. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray for the spirit of, re of wisdom and revelation to be on you, so the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. How do people's eyes get opened to the gospel? It's only through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And you only carry the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit when you live a life in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in the secret, and He sees in secret, and He'll reward you in public. I want to be a person who prays. And maybe some of you, you might not have a physical voice to the next generation. But I promise you this, your prayers are speaking to them. Your prayers are doing what? Breaking up the fallow ground. And this is the word for PCF Church. Break up the fallow ground. And you'll have influence far beyond you could ever know in this generation. Please pray for us as 24-7 prayer youth as we go up and down this nation. 
launching these youth prayer nights. Right now we're in Manchester, Birmingham, London, Stoke and Nottingham. But we want to see 25 youth prayer nights by 2025 in this nation. We are going to win this nation back for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is going to do it. I just want to invite you all just to stand.